John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good day so far. Looks, I don't know, uh, Curtis Rogers, is it starting to clear up a little bit? I mean, I know that was almost to the point where they might not have been able to get all the uh, Mariner game in last night. But with, is the smoke a little bit better today? Because I know there's a little uh, bit of rain. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's much better. My phone says the air quality is still very unhealthy. But well, what what's, what numbers does it say on that? Like two thirty something. Ooh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's not good at all. It's it's going up. It's going higher according to Paul Gallant right now. But uh, yeah, the rain though that was a nice reprieve last night. I, I enjoyed that very much. But hopefully we can get more in the coming day so this uh the smoke can disperse yeah boy it's it's been bad i mean and that's a and that's i mean a sad part about it because how dangerous it is but also the fact that i mean here's some great weather that we could be sitting outside eating outside and doing all these things and now we can't yeah that's it's the unfortunate uh thing about this so hopefully everybody when they are outside you know they're staying healthy and, mm-hmm. and those who have uh, breathing issues in in normal conditions. Hopefully, they're able to to stay inside for the most part. All right. Well, let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. You know, we we played a pretty clean football game first time out, and I know a lot of you would have, you know, you were wondering and you know what it was going to be like, and you know, could you go out there and not be sloppy and, and kind of lousy at your football? Shoot, I thought it looked like a really good. Uh, demonstration of executing for a first game and maybe as good as we've seen and i think it all of that process like i've been telling you i i hoped it would show up and i think it did you know i think we we have come a long ways in under these circumstances and i'm, I'm pleased with where we are and hope we can keep growing from it a good 38 point uh, 25 victory over the atlanta falcons get off to a good start lots of good things and you know Pete carroll was able to navigate through this without having any type of uh, issues with um, too many mistakes. Again, there were mistakes. I mean, you know, certainly Damian Lewis can't have the holding penalties, and I know that Jamal Adams had a mistake on one of the coverages, but nevertheless, this turned out to be a, a really good game. You know, defensively, they blitzed. They did a lot of good things. They were able to get some pressure on the quarterback, but I'll tell you, the amazing thing is Jamal Adams looks like, uh, you know, he blitzed like about 12 times. He had four pressures, a sack, and then, of course, was all over the field. Just an incredible performance, and now uh, you in the in, in at least listening have now been able to now see what everybody like myself and uh, and Dave Wyman and everybody has been able to see and practice at how good this guy is and how this defense is going to be uh, coming up. Uh, Seahawks only penalized six times for 46 yards, but that's kind of the weird part about this opening week in that uh, it was only like an average of like 5.1 penalties. The officials, you know, of course, wearing the masks and trying to do it, just let everybody play. So I don't know if that trend's going to continue, but five, five a little over five penalties a game, so the six is a little bit higher than most. It looks good, of course, if you're the Seahawks, but of course, uh, you know, that was good. The other good thing is they didn't commit a turnover. That's one thing that Russell Wilson's so good at doing. You know, Chris Carson protecting the ball in the limited amount of time, and the offensive success, you know, a lot of it, has, I think, has to do to the bad defense that the Falcons have. I mean, they're really weak at the cornerback position. They let Desmond Trufant go. Uh, Isaiah Oliver is pretty terrible. He's been that way last year, and even so this year. He's one of the cornerbacks at 2018 draft choice, and they had A.J. Terrell out there as a rookie. So it's going to be a very different game coming up because now you have you know, Matt Ryan's a passing quarterback. You know, Cam Newton can pass, but I think you can see he's going to be running the football. In fact, he ran the ball 15 times for the Patriots in a 10-point win over the Miami Dolphins. But say. 
today. We'll see how the defense adjusts and how well it can do. Number two. And the 0-1 pitch to Loriano from Yacobonis. On the way, swinging a high fly ball, deep left center field. On the run to the one-inch track. Kyle Lewis near the wall, leaps up, and he makes the catch! Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis! Over the wall and left center, brings it back! And he takes a grand salami away from Raymond Loriano. Holy smokes, Lewis timing that leap. High over the wall and left center field out near the pen. And that will retire the side. What a play by Kyle Lewis. Well, it's kind of a wild doubleheader, but certainly Kyle Lewis having almost a Ken Griffey-like catch that took away a grand, at least a chance for a grand slam home run. Pretty incredible. Also, his hitting continues to be great. I mean, he's got to win the Rookie of the Year. Two-run homer in the first game. He was able to get that great catch in the second game. And so what ended up happening, Mariners were down 5-0 to Oakland. They came back and won game one, 6-5. And then uh, game two, just kind of a blowout. They lose 9-0. Of course, in game one, uh, Marco Gonzalez was able to get the win. Not not his best performance, but he, he's still. I mean, he's the ace of this staff. So at the moment, the Mariners are 22 and 26. They're one and a half games behind the Houston Astros, which is amazing. And there's 12 games left. I mean, how, how about the idea? Did anybody think that the Mariners would still be in a pennant race, or at least a chance to maybe get into a wild card at this stage? So L.J. Newsom's going to start tonight, opening up a series against the uh, San Francisco Giants. Pre-game is going to be at 5.30, first pitch at 6.40. We'll talk to Shannon Dreyer at 10.30 to discuss Kyle Lewis and the Mariners. Number three. Roethlisberger on third and four. Fires to the end zone. It's caught for a touchdown by Smith Schuster. And a big night for Juju. This is fun. This is what he had in mind. And he is over the moon that Big Ben is back. Yeah, no doubt. Ben is back. Of course, uh, early in the game, his knee got twisted, Ben Roethlisberger, and you kind of worried, oh, did he suffer a bad knee injury? And apparently not. He played the rest of the game. Uh, James Conner did get banged up. We'll see if he's going to be able to play this week. But the Steelers get a 26-16 win over a Giants team that did well in the first half, but then kind of faded. You know, I think you can see that Ben has bounced back. Uh, looks like a bounce back year for Juju Smith-Schuster. Good bounce back year for the offense. And of course, that defense is pretty fierce. I mean, boy, they, they seem to blitz on just about half the plays and really get good pressure on the quarterback. They held uh, Saquon Barkley to just about nothing, and Joe Judge didn't look like he had control of the team overall in his first game as a head coach. So uh, you kind of wonder, is the special teams coach formerly of the Patriots in the right position? I guess the Seahawks will find that out later in the year when they face the Giants. But nevertheless, Big Ben getting the victory, 26-16. to And, you know, you start to look at the AFC, and what I'm starting to wonder right now, are there really seven playoff teams? Because certainly, you know, that Pittsburgh and Baltimore are right up there. Kansas City's probably the best team. And then, uh, you know, after that, Tennessee, which we'll talk about here in a second. You know, they look pretty solid. Indy was disappointing. Raiders did a little bit, but they played a bad Carolina Panther team that didn't have much on defense. And, you know, the Colts, big disappointment. Houston, big disappointment. I don't know. I can count maybe five playoff teams, but I know it's early. Number four. It's part of the position that's... It's a very fickle position. It's definitely an opportunity I, I did deserve, but grateful that I got it for, you know, the team and the guys that went out there and busted their butt. I mean, I, I really put them in a tough spot. And, you know, you don't always get that lucky to get a chance to redeem yourself, but, um, you know, I'm just happy that the guys got to celebrate. And, um, you know, I'm disappointed in myself and 
embarrassed and frustrated, but at the end of the day, you know, we won, and uh, luckily guys are happy going home. We're seeing a bunch of kickers having bad starts to the season, and Goskowski, who was a former great kicker from the New England Patriots, missed three field goals and an extra point on Monday night, which was incredible. And people were wondering, oh, is he going to get cut? Well, he basically had his contract guaranteed of $2.5 million by playing and kicking in the first game. But he did get the game-winning kick with 17 seconds remaining in the in the contest. If you're wondering about Genevieve and Clowney, I think he had about, what, 57 plays? He only had three tackles and a quarterback hit, so not a great debut but of course you know they moved him all around and tried to do things so what you're wondering about and of course i know dave wyman's not going to buy this and i don't totally buy it either that uh you know a lot of people are saying yeah uh, jay feely you know i guess tweeted and made the uh, assumption that it's like okay yeah these kickers they just didn't have the preseason well guess what i mean there is it's a specialty type of job it's not like they have to get their bodies ready for hitting but uh, there's certainly a lot of kickers out of sync in week one Number five. I was told by a source today with knowledge of the discussions of the Pac-12's return that their earliest targeted dates is between mid-November and late November. A lot of that has to do with the timetable in terms of the new tests that are going to be on each campus by the end of this month, but they've got to teach people how to use those tests. They've got to know the testing protocol. And then you have the public health concerns in the state of California and Oregon, where six schools currently couldn't even have contact practice if they wanted to. They have to be clear to practice, let alone play, before those presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12 reconvene for another vote for their return. Well, there may be Pac-12 uh, football, and that's Heather Dinich uh, talking about maybe a mid-November return and trying to get out there. And that's because of the daily testing they now have from COVID that really is so advanced the conference is waiting on oregon and california to uh, allow for six schools in the state to be able to get permission to resume activity and if that can happen then they're moving on with the possibility of doing it. they still need a short uh, period of time to train the staffs to be able to get the new testing equipment and ensure proper protocols are in place but ideally the thought would be that uh, teams would have six weeks to practice which is of course i think the model the nfl and colleges want to have and then be physically able to play but now they're talking about mid-November as a possibility as opposed to January or February, that could be encouraging. Hey, we miss college football, uh, at least here on the West Coast. At least we have it around good, most parts of the country. But uh, And, of course, the Big Ten, they're pushing forward to even go a little earlier than mid-November. We'll see if that all happens. But Big Ten and Pac-12, there's a chance. Hey, listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about uh, what the Seahawks have shown the most growth in been last year to this year. It's the John Clayton Show, 17, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Under further review, of course, uh, I, I know that the coaches, they've already done this on Monday. They reviewed the tapes of the game one and now are moving on to the New England game, trying to see what you saw. But, of course, everybody here in town is trying to review what you can see is what the growth of this team has been uh, because, you know, it was a pretty impressive 38-25. to 25. Sure, there was some sloppiness, some things that need to be fixed up and all that. But uh, you can see that, uh, you know, maybe 
against the Falcons, particularly on the road, it's kind of hard to make a gauge on that. I still thought that the Falcons were the perfect team to play to open up the season because then you get to see where the uh, three cornerbacks were going to be aligned and how they would do because it's a three-receiver team. you got a great quarterback in Matt Ryan. Uh, you got a good coach in Dan Quinn. Uh, you also had you know a secondary that uh, is a problem right now for the Falcons. A lot of beatable things. And you go last year, you got a 24 to nothing lead, and then Falcons were able to fight back and then lose the game and end up being 1-7 and seven for the bye week. And then this year, of course, losing that first game is not good. But nevertheless, a chance right now to see, you know, we're – Things are going to advance. And I know today Brock Hewitt was on with Danny and Gallant, and he talked about what areas seem to be the most growth between 219 and 220. Who of all of Seattle's players, returning players, rookies excluded, who took the biggest step forward from what we saw a year ago? Who showed the most growth from last year to the first game of this season? Yeah, I think that's a pretty easy one because I don't even know if he, if he was active a year ago, and that would be Ethan Posick. A guy that was banged up for a bunch of years here that, that went and got some work done and, and fixed, a, a, I believe, a sports hernia or, or something along those lines and, and got his body right this offseason and, and was a good player. I was chatting with Mark Schlereth uh, yesterday, kind of checking with, in with him because obviously he had the game with Adam Amin and studied him going in and talked to people behind the scenes, called the game. And uh, I asked him almost that exact same question. Anybody that you you know were pleasantly surprised by? And, and he said Posick. And, and behind the scenes they were encouraged over the over the six weeks of how well he was moving how much more confident he was playing center and i'm not going to say he was a, a world beater or perfect or anything but you know his athleticism to get to the second level his athleticism to uh, to slide in protections and frankly just his size you know little joey hunt in there you know trying to try, trying to hold it down at 511 and 290 you know versus 66 and 315 and in length and yeah i don't think there's any question ethan Posick from where he's really been for three years compared to the position of leadership he's in now as a centerpiece of that offensive line. I thought he played pretty pretty well, Danny. Should I be less concerned about the offensive line, Brock? No. Nope, I, I don't think you should be. You know, Russell still got hit ten times and a few times hard. They still had, you know, some troubles picking up some some stunts. That that's not a that's not an upper echelon Atlanta defensive line. Tack McKinley's an explosive guy, but that's not what you're going to face in your own division with Arizona and the Rams and the 49ers. So, yeah, I think there's still going to be some growing pains anytime you play a rookie. Growing pains anytime you have you know a bunch of new faces in there working together. Uh, the tight ends will help that group, Paul, but. No, I, I think that's still an area that uh, it's going to have to accelerate over the course of the season and its growth. Yeah, and I would tend to agree that, uh, you know, again, <clears throat> and you figure most offensive lines around the league are in the same area where they really are just trying to get it together because they have no real hitting except for, uh, you know, some padded practices and all those different things. And so, but I think that you can see some encouragement. And I agree that Posick certainly has uh, improved a lot and gives them, you know, get, may, I don't know if he's going to be as good as Justin Britt. You know, Justin Britt at one point was a, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl alternate and was able to get votes for that. But but uh, I think overall, this was still a good sign for what this team was able to do uh, on the line. And, you know, you know, Damian Lewis in his first game, and it's a lot to ask a rookie to be able to come in and do what he was able to do. Uh, and he made some mistakes. But, uh, yeah, the 10 hits on the quarterback, that's not good. The three sacks, that's not good. You know, those things have to improve. I thought uh, pretty decent on the run blocking, although there's only 20 running plays. But overall, uh, that, at, that area, I think, looked pretty good. I think that... You can see you know, one guy that's improved is David Moore. 
David Moore now really looking good as the third receiver, and we're still awaiting word on Josh Gordon if he's going to become available at some point. You know, they they would like they've already got him under contract on one year deal, but he's you know right now on the exempt list because he's still on a suspension. But I think you can see the receiving group look good. I thought that uh, you know there was uh, you know obviously on the secondary that's where the area of best improvement was, and there's no doubt so much of that's Jamal Adams because Adams was able to just be a force. I mean, 12 tackles. I mean, he rushed, uh, what, 11 times. He got four pressures, a sack. He looked real good. And so I think and I, I think you can also see that Quandre Diggs, as good as he was at the finish of the season last year, he looks even better right now, and he fits in even so well with Jamal Adams. And so th- those areas have improved. I think that uh, you can see that Travis Homer has improved. That's one, you know, as the one of the backup running backs because, you know, he was able to at least stay ahead of his former teammate in DJ Dallas who was inactive. But I don't know, Curtis, what did what did you think? What's what was the area that you thought was the most improved? I, I thought the pass rush, John, was was better than what I thought it was going to be. Now Matt Ryan is somebody that, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of mobility, so they were able to get after him. I think the Benton Mayoa sack stands out the most to me in terms of the pass rush getting after Ryan and, and being able to chase him down pretty easily. But LJ Collier to me, I mean, it wasn't it was an honest day's work, I would say, for him. Uh getting that quarterback hit early on, I think that gave him a lot of momentum. He only finished with one tackle, but uh, I think that is just going to be a huge momentum boost for him. For somebody that barely saw the field last year, you know, he only had three tackles last year, so he's a third of the way to that total uh, in year number two. And obviously, there's going to be more bites at the apple for him, certainly in year number two, because of just how little there are or how few guys in front of him there are right now. So uh, I think that's somebody I look at that. Uh, has made some strides, and it was great that he stayed healthy all off season. Didn't miss any time in camp due to injury, and that was a big thing for him in his rookie season when he missed most of camp. What, what was it, a high ankle sprain, something like that? Mm-hmm. And and now getting that chance to play every single day and to play with the ones and and to really show why Seattle made him a first round pick a year ago. Uh, I'm hoping that the improvement continues, and this it just isn't you know the the top of his of his development because if he can become that first round draft pick that he was a year ago, uh, man, that's going to be a huge lift to Seattle's defense. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, and that's the thing that uh, I wish this town still would understand. It's like, okay, he was a first round pick. There's no question about that. Uh, But again, uh, and you see it league wide, it's been a trend now that's been, pretty much there for like uh, six years or so that, uh, you know, the first round pick is not going to be Jamal Adams like that and play like that because technically he's in a, he's a second round pick that, uh, you know, most teams have 18 to 20 guys that they have in the, uh, in the draft, you know, rated as first round picks. And then second round after that to a point where it's not, it's rare for a guy to emerge as a pro bowl player. And I think what everybody thinks, Oh yeah, they're drafting him 24th, 25th. He should be a pro bowl player. That's not the case. It happens rarely. It does happen. But again, you have to be lucky for that. And as long as he can be a solid five technique, and I thought he looked like a solid five technique in the game on Sunday, that's all you need. I mean, that's you, you want him just to be a starter. And again, you saw last year, 
uh, well, actually for four years, Jermaine Effetti, you know, was uh, he was a starter for four years. He held down the position. Uh, but again, he was in that same boat. I mean, he wasn't a top 20 pick and it's hard to get right on a top 20 pick. But I thought you're right. That was a good call on Collier because I think that he did look and do some good things. John, another area that I think got a little overlooked by people this offseason was uh, the Seahawks and, and how they were going to stop the run. Because last year they struggled. They allowed the fifth most yards per carry of any team in the NFL. It was 4.9 yards uh, per game they allowed. On Sunday, they were only averaging 3.4 yards per carry. The Falcons were against Seattle's defense. Did you see anything on that defensive line uh, that is is going to be something to watch out for uh, in terms of the running game that, that Seattle is, is going to benefit from? Well, certainly having Puna Ford and uh, having Jaron Reed for six games and not for 16 games and not six, that's a big improvement. Still wonder if they need to go out and still get one more guy as a veteran run stopper or all that, but I thought that was good. But I think so much of it, and that may be the, another area of improvement, is that uh, you know who who are the ones coming up and making a lot of the big hits? It was Bobby Wagner on on run stopping. It was Jabal Adams and uh, Diggs. I mean, they were coming up and doing a good job. <clears throat> so that I think is an area of improvement. And you know they did. I, I just wonder. I, I haven't got the breakdown yet on what they did for man coverage versus uh, zone coverage. But I think you know the more man and aggressiveness they can play, the better it's going to be. But, uh, you know, Todd Gurley was not a factor. Now, again, he didn't play as much as I think even people thought he was going to do. But overall, I thought the run defense was good. And, I think, and again, a couple, one or two breakdowns, but they still need to work more on that. But again, they got plenty of time. They got 15 more games to go in this regular season. Tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we'll talk some baseball with Shannon Dreyer. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Shannon Dreyer. And so, Shannon, 12 games remain in this short season. And are you stunned that right now at 22 and 26, the Mariners actually do have a shot to maybe get a wild card, a game and a half behind the Astros? I know it's you know still maybe a long shot, but the fact that they have a shot and are still in the race is pretty remarkable. Oh, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, you look at the expanded playoffs and you're looking, well, you know, they're not even a 500 team, so let's focus on that right there. But I think the important thing right now is what you've seen from the team over the last few weeks. And you've seen improvement, you know, certainly throughout the whole short season that puts them in this position, which is fun as it is for the fans to watch and follow. It's even better for the players as far as, getting that experience of being in a race, you know, to see the emotion at the end of game one yesterday. That's something I'm not sure some of them, you know, particularly like Marco Gonzalez, you saw him, well, he's pitched in the postseason, so I guess he's been there uh, with the Cardinals. But uh, to have that, uh, that had to be kind of, uh, that probably had to try and kind of sneak up on them as well. So I, I think it's just an invaluable piece of the learning, and they're trying to get as much as they can in 60 days into this group and that's just an absolute bonus and you know whether they make it or not they're getting a lot out of this right now and if they make it that would be a lot of fun and the fact that it's an actual race and you can look at the box scores and you can look at the standings every day all the better 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what kind of caught your eye? And of course, I mean, it was just incredible what Kyle Lewis was able to do and continue to do all season. I mean, that was almost a Ken Griffey-like play in taking away a Grand Slam home run. It was beautiful. And what was uh, so great about it, and I'm glad it was a home game and you were actually there. I was actually there and I could see it. And I could see it unfold and I didn't have to watch it on a monitor. But it looked like he had it the entire time. It, he picked it up right away. Uh, he had time to get to the wall. He timed the leap uh, just perfectly. His eye was on the ball the entire time. And to me, it was, you know, this is a huge situation. They're going to give up four runs here. Wait a second. There's Kyle Lewis. He's got it. He has got it. And then the leap was just absolutely spectacular. I'm not sure I've seen anybody get up higher than that. That was absolutely fantastic. And then when he landed, the gallop back and then the run back and the joy that he showed, everybody's comparing it to Griffey. And it was very similar in just how fired up and how excited he was about that. And that's a beautiful part of the game. People want to see the emotion in the game, and that was a true emotion after an absolutely fantastic play. You know, the other amazing thing about the, what happened uh, in the first game of the doubleheader yesterday is being down five to nothing and then being able to claw the way back. And I think you, you definitely have to say there's improvements in the bullpen. There's improvements in the confidence of this team because, you know, you would take the early part of the season. If they were going to be down five nothing, they're going to be down nine nothing. Yeah, and what was great about that is is that there were also just, you know, extraordinary conditions and situations. They were playing, you know, the smoke was very real yesterday, and uh, they were playing against a team that, you know, is very much superior to them right now. And then the other thing is, is I always look at number ones as that's your win day as a team. If you're a player in that clubhouse that day, you're driving to the ballpark that day, you're getting ready that day, and you're feeling pretty good that you're going to win. That's your win day when your number one is out there. And Marco, I think, has earned that. He's a win day pitcher. You expect that when he's out on the hill. And for him to walk a batter, the very first batter of the game, which is something, you know, he'd walked only four batters before uh, yesterday's game, and uh, struggle from the get-go, not quite be there, and then give up the runs, it would have been that much easier to just go, hey, it's not our day, it's smoky, our guy has not got his stuff today, and to come back basically in two innings and do what they did and use a good amount of that lineup, almost the entire lineup, to do so, uh, I thought that was huge. I've been waiting for a long time for the offense to pick up this team and, and to carry it. This isn't the year to do that with, their, with the offense so young. You were kind of thinking that when you had your Nelson Cruz and your Robinson Canoes and Kyle Seegers, that they would be able to do that at some point, and they never really did. And we've seen it a few times this year, and that's a very, very good thing. You don't want to be one-dimensional. You don't want to be one-sided in what you have. It's great to have good pitching, and the starting pitching in particular has done a fantastic job this year. But to see the offense be able to step up and to step up under the conditions that they did yesterday, that was as big of a takeaway from yesterday as that spectacular catch. Yeah, no question. What? Uh, how close did it come to being shut down because of the air quality, and what worries are there coming up for this two-game series against San Francisco? You know, from everything we heard, it didn't sound like it ever got close to being shut down. You know, I checked in with the people that I could when I got to the ballpark yesterday, and, you know, our, are we really going to play? And the answer was always yes. I think there was a possibility that they might delay it a little bit, thinking that the conditions might get a little bit better. That didn't happen. Post-game comments by everybody. Scott Service said that, 
it, it seemed okay on his end. Over on the other side, however, Bob Melvin and some of the A's players, not so sure about that. So uh, I, I don't think yesterday's game was in doubt from an MLB standpoint. Um, I, I, I personally think the conditions were extreme. Uh, and as far as today goes, uh, since they played yesterday and we haven't heard anything else to this point, I would imagine everything is on. Yeah, no doubt. Now, you saw San Francisco last week. Uh, what, uh, what, I don't know, changes in San Francisco because they did well in the two-game stretch. You know, what do the Mariners have to do to improve to be able to handle the Giants? Well, the Giants, when they faced them in San Francisco, it was one of the hottest offenses in baseball at the time. And I think it caught them off guard a little bit. Not that they didn't prepare for the game or anything, but they were really rolling heading into that series. Now they've seen them, and and hopefully you realize that you just don't have room for error against the Giants or any of the teams that they face between now and the end of the season. And we saw some bobbles. We saw some errors yesterday, and it's very uncharacteristic. Coming into yesterday's game, they hadn't committed an error in 10 games and in game two they committed or game one it was actually they committed two and one very early they've got to you know play clean baseball to compete with these teams san francisco has been doing some very legitimate things but a lot of it has been because of what the offense has done particularly over the three weeks uh, they've added some pitching that'll make it a little bit tougher and going into this little two-game series they're throwing two lefties at them, and the Mariners' bat- batters have not had a lot of success against left-handed pitching. In fact, I believe they're batting under 200 against lefties. So they've got a. It, it'll be tough for them, but we've also seen them put together some nice game plans against some pitchers of late, and really be able to carry it out as a team and as a unit. And so you want to see that as well. I'm interested to see. You got the very, very young part of the rotation as opposed to just the young part with uh, L.J. Newsom coming up today and Nick Margavichus tomorrow. And, uh, you know, they're both strike throwers, and I'm interested to see how they handle this lineup. Yeah, no doubt. Any chance of anybody, any more call-ups, or is that pretty much out here because this is the last 12 games? I think only as need would dictate. I know there's been a lot of question, where's Jared Kelnick, where's Logan Gilbert, and I think we've been over that quite a bit. You know, that's never been the plan uh, for this year. I think you would have seen Logan Gilbert early in the season, but they wanted to get him starts before they brought him up. Same with Jared Kelnick, although I think you would have seen him later if this had been a regular season. And, you know, nothing changes. They're getting their work in down at the alternate site right now, but they're not getting real games. And they want them to have that game experience. And I think most importantly, they want them that once they come up, they stay up. That's it. And uh, just to kind of bring them up because of a situation or, well, wouldn't it be fun to have them up? That's not part of the plan. So I don't think you're going to see those two. But if need dictates, you will see others. Any uh, injury update on Shedlong and Sam Haggerty? Shedlong, we need to check in on. He was getting an MRI on that shin to find out what his options were. And he was going to see... um, he was going to see Dr. Andrews. I think surgery is a possibility there, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what he has decided on that, and I have nothing on Haggerty. Okay, so it should be an interesting two-game series against the Giants and 22-26. I mean, hey, there's still hope. And by the way, the Astros continue to play some bad baseball. 
they play some bad baseball, but they're getting some players back. So, and they're still the Astros. And that's my thing. At any time, they can turn back into the Astros. But the thing to remember with them is the starting pitching staff is not what it's been 2017 to 2019. And the bullpen has been very suspect this year. Okay, well, that sounds like good stuff. Uh, Shannon, uh, stay out of the uh, the bad smoke and all that stuff, and let's hope that the air quality gets better because the quality of baseball has been very good. Shannon Dreyer, thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines, get you up to date on the National Football League. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Lots to catch up on as we get uh, behind the lines to check out what's going on in the National Football League. And uh, <clears throat> lots of uh, you know interesting things. Of course, it did seem like most of the uh, first-year coaches did have their struggles. Uh, you saw that uh, Joe Judge had a tough game in that 10-point loss to the Steelers on Monday night. Uh, certainly, you know Mike McCarthy, not off to a good start, only getting 17 points out of that talented offense. And even have a good running game by Ezekiel Elliott. But then, uh, you know, making the bad call and not going for the field goal and taking a fourth down and not being able to make it on a play that would have tied the game. So that didn't go too well. Uh, so uh, the be- the best one turned out to be, I think, one of the most interesting stories is Ron Rivera of the Washington football team. Here he was. He was able to go ahead and get a, a big victory over Philadelphia. And in fact, Curtis Rogers, let's get into that Philadelphia-Washington game. I mean, what, the Eagles jump off to a 17 nothing lead. You figure here's the Redskin or the Washington team. That's right now considered to be one of the worst in football. And uh, Dwayne Haskins was able to bring them back with three guys injured on the Eagles offensive line. The Redskins, with their five first-round picks on the defensive line, were able to get eight sacks. And then as the game wore on, it seems like uh, the offense of the Eagles just wore out. Yeah, and Dwayne Haskins, I mean, the numbers weren't weren't great, 17 of 31, 178 yards and a touchdown, but uh, apparently his halftime speech really rallied the troops there in Washington uh, after Ron Rivera had to he had to go get an IV treatment because he's battling cancer right now too. Um, but John, we you talk about first-year head coaches or coaches that are with new teams uh, Ron Rivera obviously has coached in the NFL for a long time. Got to imagine his experience uh, is is needed not just with that Washington team, but uh, you look at teams that are you know with that new head coach, the Giants with Joe Judge. Boy, he looks way in over his head as a oh, yeah. head coach, and maybe that's just you know the first game jitters or whatnot. But man, I don't I don't see things in New York improving anytime soon with Judge as, as the head guy. And I mean, yeah, it's one game that it's it's an overreaction to one game, but. I, I from what we have seen from him in New York this off season and just kind of the messages he's been trying to send and how it all just came falling down yesterday on Monday Night Football, uh, it is not looking good for him. No, it really doesn't. Uh, but that's I guess <clears throat> there's going to be an overreaction I think to uh, you know uh, that opening opening loss because again every team's going to be different. I mean you're trying to do different things and you know you're it's so it's so tough really not having the preseason games and the off-season program and all those different things so that I think is going to be one of the challenges that everybody because you know it's like I think in fact how bad was it that Jerry Rice was pretty much being negative on the uh, 
49ers in that uh, opening loss, which was not a good one for the Arizona, losing to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, ne- never a good sign when uh, one of the legends of your franchise is, is calling calling the team out. And, and John, looking at what the 49ers have in terms of injuries right now, uh, obviously they weren't going to be able to match what they did at the start of last season. But is there growing concern in the Bay Area with this 49ers team? They're 0-1. George Kittle gets banged up. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't look very good. They don't really have any healthy receivers right now. Uh, and now they go on a long road trip. They're going to the New York teams. They're not coming home either, so they're going to return to San Francisco uh, what is it, September 28th, that would be the game after they face the New York Giants. Uh, it's not looking easy right now for no. the 49ers. No, I think you have to be concerned without any question <clears throat> because George Kittle has a little bit of a knee injury. They don't think it's serious, but you still got to wonder about that. <clears throat> the receiving core totally messed up. I mean, you know, <clears throat> you know, really, were it not, I think, for the five guys that did the uh, they had to put on the injured reserve as a wide receiver, Dante Pettis would not have made the team. And here he was in a position of starting, and the former Washington uh, player couldn't hardly do anything from the Huskies. I mean, he only had one target, and it was for no catches. And that's obviously not good. No, definitely not good. And like you said, he was very much on his way out of that organization. I think last year they were scratching him from games, and he was just a a year removed from being a second-round pick. So just to see the the desperate need for wide receiver help in San Francisco, it, it makes you wonder like why they didn't go after Josh Gordon when he was available for as long as he was. And maybe they figured, and as it, we're seeing it right now, Gordon still has not been reinstated by the NFL. Uh, so maybe they kind of got word that yeah, we'll keep our, our distance from this guy. But uh, you, you kind of wonder why they didn't go more why they weren't more aggressive with wide receivers in the offseason. They lost Emmanuel Sanders to the to the Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've got Debo Samuel injured, Richie James is injured, uh Brandon Ayuk is injured. So it just it's surprising to me that they weren't more aggressive in seeking wide receiver help this offseason. Well, they were aggressive. I mean, uh you know, they they signed Tavon Austin, he went on injured reserve. They signed JJ Nelson, he went on injured reserve and they released him from the IR. And so, you know, they tried try to do as much as they can to fill in the void, but uh, you know, uh, Brandon Ayuk, they took in the first round, uh, and what happened to him? I mean, he had a hamstring injury, and he's hurt. So not on the injured reserve list, but he's hurt. So you know they've got a lot of issues right now that's just not cleaning up, and you know they don't want this thing to slip away too fast. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, in Cleveland, John Odell Beckham obviously talking. What what else does he do? Yeah. He loves to do that. Uh, he finished week one with three receptions on ten targets for twenty two yards. Uh, he mentioned that he would like to get more involved early and that it just didn't go that way Sunday. And then he said, quote, like I said, you got to give your hats off to the other team sometimes. They just came out and they played better than us. John, it's year two of Odell Beckham in Cleveland. It's not going the Browns' way as, as many people thought it would go in week one. Uh, how are we? How do you see Beckham playing in Cleveland this season, or do you see him sticking around in Cleveland? Yeah, you have to start to wonder now that uh, at some point he's got to pick it up. Baker Mayfield has to pick it up. I mean, to come out in that opening game and get blown away by 32 points is just ridiculous. And uh, you know, Beckham, you know, because here's a team that has six Pro Bowl players on offense. I mean, two Pro Bowl running backs, two Pro Bowl receivers, and uh, you know, clearly Beckham since going to uh, the Cleveland, hasn't played like a Pro Bowl player. 
I mean, he's on all reputation, and he seems to talk a talk a good game, but not play a good game. And then he goes off crazy sometimes in some of the things that he says and does. So not a good situation. And you'd have to think that the fans are getting very upset with what's going on because, again, this I thought they were going to be a playoff team, and right now certainly they don't look like one. No, they don't, and they got a quick turnaround. They play on Thursday night against Cincinnati, uh, a Bengals team that was able to hang with the Chargers, didn't get the victory in Week 1, um, but it, it's a much different Bengals team than it has been in years past. Joe Burrow at starting quarterback. Uh, Cleveland right now, John, you, we talk a lot, especially in the last couple of years, this might be a team that could surprise in the AFC North or whatever, but... It's just not looking like it could stack up that way. I mean, they've got Cincinnati and Washington, two winnable games back-to-back here, but then they go to Dallas, Colts at Pittsburgh, at Cincinnati, Vegas. It, it ramps up here uh, during the season's midway point. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, it's, but I guess you know everybody's going to kind of overreact to the first week because, again, we're at that stage where, uh, okay, it's like we've been waiting so long to judge these teams and see where they are, and it's going to be interesting. But the one thing I think came out of this week that was positive – for the Seahawks is that I know I had to send my rankings into AP and now you have to rank at least temporarily Seattle over San Francisco in any of the rankings because I know some people still had San Francisco is like the number three number two seed right behind either New Orleans Kansas City and stuff like that and I just thought that uh, you know this is not a 13 win 49er team I think it's more of an 11 win team and right now maybe playing more like a 10 or 9 win team yeah, and, and you, as we know, you got to get off to a hot start in the NFL because you don't want to be playing from behind. Because uh, then you got to really you got to play better than expectations. If you start zero and two, you got to play at a ten and four clip the rest of the way. When many people had pegged you at ten and six or something like that, so it's always important to bank the wins early in the season so you give yourself a, a much easier cushion in the second half. No doubt. Coming up next, we're going to get together with four downs with Sean Salisbury, John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.